Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Good evening, everybody, and happy Thursday. So we want to begin with a story tonight, well, a horrifying story, out of Las Vegas, our, where we come and record this show out of. Um, obviously, many of you may know that there was a fatal stabbing. Um, six people were stabbed total, and I believe there were two fatalities um, in front of the Wynn Casino um, earlier this week. So it was two showgirls um, that ultimately were the initial victims, and then there were more victims as the sort of the scene unfolded. And um, the perpetrator... Um, in 2018, um, was charged with a felony domestic abuse um, stemming out of some behavior in Los Angeles. And that case was dismissed. Um, So you kind of wonder, um, you know, there's two there's two conversations to be had here. There's a conversation. Well, hey, this guy that committed this heinous and awful crime and is, you know, one step away from being a serial killer at this point um, was allowed to walk. Right. And should have been sitting in, in jail, if not prison. Um, and I don't you know, it's hard to grapple with our justice system failing that miserably. Um, and now, you know, people have lost their lives because of the failure of our justice system to properly adjudicate uh, what was going on with that guy. Um, I do think that's a fair conversation to have. And then it brings up criminal justice reform. It brings up conversations about immigration in this country. And, you know, I don't think that's the fairest conversation to have. Um, Win Resorts, for those of you that don't know, massive, massive corporation brings in a ton of money. In fact, three point, I think, six billion dollars uh, last year. Caesars um, and MGM, they're even higher, uh, around nine point six and I believe nine point five billion dollars in revenue last year, respectively. So there needs to be, in my opinion, um, and we'll have we'll have Professor Stanton weigh in here, some culpability on behalf of these massive, massive conglomerations and corporations. Right. So the Vegas showgirl is a staple of the Vegas community. And granted, uh, they are not employed by the win. And I don't want to act like they were then employed by win Caesars MGM. These are private, you know, third party companies that employ these showgirls. But at the end of the day, the fact that the response time to these ladies was so short The fact that there were not security, if not police officers nearby or at least willing to respond within one to two minutes, given given the size, given the amount of traffic that's on the strip. Uh, This is nothing short of ridiculous that we can't hold multi-billion dollar corporations responsible for our safety um, when we're the ones bringing in all this revenue. And and then those poor showgirls are just trying to add atmosphere and, and bring spirit to the strip and, and represent what Vegas is all about. And now they lose their lives. Right. So, you know, on one side, there is the conversation about what are we doing with immigration? What are we doing with criminal justice reform? But I think we need to look at the other side of the coin. And that's these girls were, were murdered in front of a win casino and there was no security, no cops, no, I mean, nothing. There was nothing there to protect those girls. And I think, um, yeah, just some level of culpability there is necessary. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, that in many ways um, we have an attitude in the city that Vegas is sort of removed from the rest of the world, that none of these atrocities can occur here because this is a land of pleasure and and uh, entertainment and everything like that. Um, but I think that um, this is a, is a concern for people who, uh, would want to come here. Uh, our uh, our city basically, uh, although it's a regular city like every other city, it's a unique city because so much of its income and so much of its uh, uh, popularity comes from people who visit us. And we, we, we of course, want to create uh, the feeling that when people come here, they're going to be safe. 
Uh, and uh, in this case, it, it appears that uh, uh, that that really did not happen. The response time for uh, apprehending this man was quite extended. Uh, so I think it's something that uh, you know the the city fathers should be looking at in 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 uh, cooperation with the casino operators as to what can be done to make to make the strip a safer place. Uh, I think there has been a change on the strip in the years that I've been here uh, as to basically, uh, if you want to use the word rowdiness or, mm-hmm. or misbehavior, whatever uh, words you want to choose, uh, from a lot of the people that are, that are out there. And uh, you'll, see, you'll see it especially like on a Friday night or on a, on a Saturday night uh, where basically uh, the police really have their hands full trying to keep water. Uh, which, you know, obviously uh, is something that is a concern to all of us because uh, a, we, you, a person only needs one bad experience in this place not to come back. And to tell all their friends as a corollary. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So I think there's something that, I think there's something definitely that can be done about it, you know. Um, but I, I, you make a great point. I think having the conversation that, hey, there is danger on the strip and we do need to address this. And, hey, crime has gone up and we are seeing people that are afraid to come here. That that's not a conversation I think anybody wants to have. And to even admit that there is a problem would then create more fear for for people. You know, you, don't, you never want to affect the bottom line. At the yeah. end of the day, we don't ever want to affect the bottom line and to make tourists it, it, put the tourists in fear of coming mm-hmm it's a no-go. It's a non-starter. Right. Um, and then we don't get to address the problems when there is actual crime going on on the strip. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the strip all the time and I can attest to the things that are being said here is it's 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 different. Uh, and even in the last maybe year or two, I've seen it become so much worse where the right. things I, I see are, uh, they rise to nearly a GTA level, a Grand Theft Auto level thing. I mean, it, and unexaggeratedly, they are very scary things that right. I see on the strip. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting as a, as an, a, a, an attorney and someone who, you know, worked in the justice system for a number of years, what, what fascinates me and frightens me is how a lot of the crime, not just in our city, but in the country, is random, almost senseless crime. Mm-hmm. It's not crime where I want to steal money from somebody. It's not crime where... I'm trying to take somebody's car. These aren't crimes of passion anymore. Yeah. No, it, it's just like the crime where there's like really no explanation for it. And it sort of kicks into um, one of the things I wanted to talk to about uh, and converse with Lanner about is the gun violence that we have in our country. Uh, and I see a parallel, which I'll make later, about the parallel between gun violence and voting. Uh, in uh, the recent statistics show an alarming an alarming rise in gun deaths in our country. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's the highest it's been, the, the figures from 2021 were the highest it's been in 30 years. Uh, we have basically uh, a huge uh, uh, a rise in uh, homicide by gun. We have a huge rise in suicide by gun. We have a huge rise. Actually, the number one cause of deaths in adults between 25 and 44. We have the statistic of black Americans being 13 times more likely to be killed uh, by death by gun. And much like, much like voting rights, uh, there's a parallel. Uh, when we had the election in uh, uh, 2020, uh, uh, where we had to deal with COVID and all the obstacles to voting, 
uh, we managed to get an enormous amount of people to vote, uh, well over 170 million people. Now, I think I've mentioned this before, but if I haven't, what, the, what would the normal response to that increase in voting be? Why, this is great. We've got all these people voting. Let's see how we can work to get even more people to vote, to get up to 75, 80%, maybe 90% in our country. But the reaction... The reaction was the complete opposite. Correct. The, the, the reaction Restrict was, rights. let's stop people from right. voting. Now, we see with, with, uh, with an obvious gun violence problem. It's not a debatable issue that we have a problem. A gun problem. A gun problem. Right. But, but what's interesting is the reaction from not just, not just politicians, but people, uh, law enforcement people, uh, particularly in uh, uh, the state of New York, uh, where a lot of the ups, ups, uh, upstate sheriffs don't want to enforce the ban on concealed weapons in certain parts of the state, and and, and one of the one of the sheriffs, I guess it was in Madison County, said that guns are what made America great. Guns are not what made America great. It is there is nothing great about people being able <laughs> a to, musket. You know, nothing great about yeah, a musket. I mean, I mean, you know, going, you know, maybe going back to the to ye olden days when we were fighting the British in a Revolutionary War, it was a great thing. But not not to have what you have today, and that that issue also ties into a lot of the court decisions that we've been having, where a lot of the what I consider a sensible gun laws are being thrown out. For example. Uh, the, the law having to do with people creating their own ghost guns, creating unregistered guns. And there was a law in the books in, in one of the states uh, to make that a felony. Uh, the law was thrown out. Uh, we had another situation involving uh, basically uh, really what were underage uh, uh, adults being able to get access to guns, high-powered guns, and there was a, a statute against that. That was thrown out. Uh, we had a situation uh, where uh, in a lot of the, a lot of the uh, uh, not just rural communities, but even in the cities, uh, gun violence has come almost to be a part of life. There doesn't seem to be any shock or outrage anymore about it. Uh, and it's so interesting to contrast the United States with Japan uh, when the uh, Prime Minister Abe was killed, like this, like the national shock of the death of one man. And we have every uh, night in every city, yeah. there is a new report of gun violence in some way, shape or. F yeah. Yeah. It, it's quite amazing. It's and we've become numb to it. Right. We see those yeah. things and it becomes much like you've just stated in Japan. It was a, a horror. Right. Yeah. I couldn't believe something like that could possibly. Yeah. It's every night and we expect it. In yeah. fact, we're shocked if the news is rosy. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. And I think I think that uh, 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 there hasn't been as much. And I say this. Uh, 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 carefully, but I think accurately, I don't think that the, the national media in our country, whether it's Fox News, whether it's CNN, whether it's M MSNBC, have used the pulpit that they have to really try to push for uh, effective, safe uh, gun control legislation that I think could pass uh in, in a unified Congress. Because there are common sense gun laws and there are ways to pass things that everybody, I don't think many people believe 19 and 20 year olds should be out carrying guns. I believe that 21 is a common sense gun law. I believe background, but these are things that now have become so muddled in, yeah. in things that you believe are not common sense anymore. And it's right. like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is that 
the gun control issue, trying to have gun control has become demonized. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has been really, what I think we need to do is we need to start at a foundation of what we can agree with. In other words, we have to get over the mythology that we're trying to take everybody's guns right, away. We're not coming out of your uncle's. We're not coming for your uncle's double barrel shotgun he uses to hunt deer. And right. I mean, that's not what what's, right. you know, but that's where the narrative has right. changed. They're trying to take away your culture. They're trying to take away America's past. We love going to the shooting range. We love hunting. That's not the idea yeah. here. Yeah. The idea here is to prevent mass murders on the scale of which we saw in Las Vegas, the scale of which we saw in Uvalde. The scale, right. I mean, the list goes on and on. I could sit here and list examples of mass shootings that should have been prevented until I'm blue in the face. So I I don't, right, I I just don't get why the conversation has to become so muddled. The reality is we have guns that should not be publicly available, especially for 19 and 20 year olds. I mean, hey. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think this is the way I would try to frame it. I would try to frame it in this way. Um, you have a, you, you need a gun to protect your home. I can I can completely identify with that. Or you could get a you know German Shepherd, but <laughs> beside the point. <laughs> True. Well, it could be a movie a little noisier, but see, you, you could do that. You could you could have a gun uh, if you worked in a job where you were in a high crime area and you had to deliver money or different things that you did. I can see that. I can see the hunting. If you want to go out and hunt, that's an American tradition. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm, we, there's and no, that's not what the point there's is. There's no right? objection, but. I am still waiting for someone to tell me, and this is the question that I think needs to be asked, what is the social or any other kind of benefit from a person having an assault weapon? What possible purpose do they need an assault weapon for? What can it be used for except killing a lot of people in a very short time? Right. What scenario are these people facing in everyday life where they would need an automatic assault weapon? Uh, You're not that important, buddy. I'm sorry. Nobody's coming after you in droves. The drones aren't coming down to get you. The war is not coming to your door. You don't need an AR. And what's, what's fascinating in the state of Texas is that you can be the you can be the same age as the uh, the young man who killed all the children in the school, and you're able at the the age of eighteen to get an assault weapon, but you have to wait until you're twenty one to get a handgun. Yeah, in the state of Florida, God forbid you want to pack of cigarettes, but go ahead and get your AR. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a cultural thing, and I think it's a cultural thing that has lost a lot of its validity. A lot of the gun laws that were passed, a lot of the, the things that were, were taken for granted were in a different time in America when we had you know, a militia, when we were fighting the British, when, when there were all kinds <laughs> Muskets, of things. Muskets, right. Know, where we didn't, where, where uh, up until uh, uh, midway in the, in the 19th century, we really didn't have police forces. People needed to protect themselves. But when you see uh, 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 what's happened in the, in, in the past f- 5, 10, 15 years, um, we, we, need to, we need to address it. We need to have a consensus, which I think we could find, which I think we could find. Yeah. And I think that uh, our avoidance to do so is going to just, it's going to get worse. This is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Yeah. I would agree with you. You know. So, 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 so that's, that's the gun issue. And then we can, we can also get into, 
what I and Lana have discussed, um, the rise in, I call it, racial politics, where we're starting to see in um, a lot of the races now for the Senate and for the governorships across the country that race, racial animus and racial uh, 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 invective is coming back. Uh, we saw it in uh, 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 the state of Alabama with Tommy Tuberville. And Tommy Tuberville used to coach Auburn. And uh, basically, he somehow, in his, in his speech, uh, actually out here in Nevada, who was in speech in, in Medlin, Nevada, he was talking about reparations. Now, I don't know how he got into reparations, but I, I realize it's a, it's a lightning bolt for a lot of people. But apparently, he, he, says, he says that... Um, the people who want reparations, they want them because they think the people who do crime are owed that. So basically, what he's basically saying is all the black people <laughs> are criminals. They're the only ones that are committing these crimes. Uh, so, so that's one example. Then you have uh, uh, the gentleman in, in uh, 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 the state of Pennsylvania who's running for governor, and uh, he's been critiquing the, uh, his opponent who's Jewish about the fact that the, the, the Jewish candidate for governor sends his uh, children to a Jewish school. Well, okay. And there are Christian politicians and, and Christian leaders who send their uh, uh, children to evangelical schools. There are Catholic politicians who send their children to Catholic schools. So, you know, I don't see what the problem is, but he, 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 then he says to his audience, he says, well, he says uh, that uh, the, the, he's doing this to show disdain for us. He's not showing disdain for anybody. What he's doing basically is he wants his children to be uh, uh, familiar with, with Jewish culture and Jewish traditions, just like a, a, a person. An evangelical person. An evangelical yeah. person would want the same for their child, or a Catholic child, would, a Catholic parent would want the same for their child. I mean, as far as sending people to elite schools, uh, um, Justice Gorsuch and uh, Justice Kavanaugh went to elite schools. They went to the same elite school. So there was, there's no criticism of that. But what's interesting is that there's an intolerance. There's an intolerance of people who have a different opinion than they do. And that's what we're really supposed to be fighting against. Right. And this intolerance is not only shocking, but this intolerance, unfortunately, sells in its shocking nature. So then these are the people, ultimately, that get platformed. And it's not the races that really matter or the races that should be tight or the races between two candidates that actually know what the heck they're doing. Uh, it's these, you know, buffoon races. It's these, these, uh, you know, you don't want to use the term idiots. These might end up being our elected officials, but ultimately idiots. And we, they're vitriol and they're garbage. That sells. That's what the news, I mean, and then it just, it spirals from there because then they're incensed then to continue to report on that person. Uh, and I don't see much like we mentioned with the gun control, a way out unless there's drastic changes to how we report on politicians and how we talk about the things they say. Well, I, I think a lot of it is what the national party, what the, uh, what the party for the RNC is willing to tolerate. In other words, if they, if you can get somebody to go out there and they can say anti-Semitic things or anti-black things or anti-Hispanic things or uh, uh, anti-Korean uh, things, uh, then they're getting a, a signal to to f see that it's acceptable. But uh, they, what what troubles me though 
uh, beyond uh, 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 people who are running for office and who are running on a, on a platform of, uh, let's just say, racial discord, uh, the, the Los Angeles City Council. That whole issue with the Los Angeles City Council, where you have people on tape, uh, one of whom was, or one of whom was on the City Council, the other gentleman was uh, in charge of one of the l- largest labor unions, uh, and uh, two others who were there, who were, I guess, along for the ride, um, basically, you know, using anti anti black anti uh, uh, anti Asian, uh, um, you know. Epithets and rhetoric. Yeah. When you do, when you, I mean, when you're doing a, a city council meeting, I mean, there's like a certain standard that should be adhered to, and this is where I think we're 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 going off the the track here. Uh, there's a certain standard of behavior. There's a certain standard the way you're going to conduct yourself. Uh, um, I hopefully for everybody, but certainly for a public official, for certainly for somebody who you know is elected by the people. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that you know people don't hide their prejudices because some people hide their prejudices very well. Right. But to but to be blatantly openly saying these things is is like completely unacceptable. And I think that that, that unfortunately uh, uh, there's not enough uh, focus on it. Um, that people think it, it becomes normalized. Right. It goes back to the media. It goes back to the media's refusal. Oh, we got to stay on, uh, you know, objective and non-biased. And when, no, when our elected officials are espousing racist, like you said, there is no reason that we need to remain objective or we need to remain non-biased. It is our responsibility as people, as journalists, as, you know, even us as people sitting here talking on the radio to call this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what are we doing? Well, we're complacent in racism out loud. Yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, through the 2016 campaign, and of course, through the 2020 campaign, uh, it became normalized, uh, and there was no there was no sanction for it, whether it was whether it was uh, uh, speaking ill of women, whether it was speaking ill of minorities, whether it was speaking ill of judges, however whoever you want right. to talk about, uh, and uh, I I think it hit a chord with a lot of people who espoused those views, right. I think there's a lot of people who uh, uh, are are uh, have a deep racial animus against against people who don't look like they are, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think that's what that's a lot of what we're dealing with. Uh, now, how you change that? I mean, <laughs> right. is is the question. I, I believe one of the things I believe I believe in education. You know, we have we have all this talk now about cancel culture and everything like that. I believe education is, is one of the most important things because a lot of young people are not aware Absolutely. of a lot of things that ha- have happened in our, in our history of our country. And the idea, the idea of these, these courses and the idea of this education is not, is not to make anybody feel bad. It's not to make anybody feel ashamed. It's not to blame children or in many cases, even their parents or even grandparents who weren't even here when right. these things happened. But it is it is something to it is something to remind people of of the dangers of things like that. I mean, that's you know Holocaust studies. What is it about? It's about 
trying to not blame a little kid in Germany for what happened, but it is to show them how a society went, went off the tracks and how people followed you know, a, a person who was insane to commit all these acts. And so by learning from history, I understand. You're not doomed to repeat it. Exactly, exactly right, exactly right. So, you know, another thing we could talk about, uh, of course, is, uh, um, and I always, I, we'll throw this in at the end, and we'll, we'll, hopefully in the near future we'll do a program on it, you know, um, women in the justice system and all, and all its uh, vagaries, idiocies, and uh, lack, of, uh, lack of attention. Um, Harvey Weinstein in, in, in relatively soon is going to go in tr- on trial in Los Angeles in another case uh, regarding his sexual uh, uh, accused of sexual misdeeds. And it's, it's really interesting to see how there's two classes of law in this country. There's a, uh, there's a class of law for people, there's a standard of law for people who have privilege. And then there's a standard of law for not just people of color, Pretty much everybody, everybody else. else. Yeah. Correct. So that, you know, he has this high powered team and uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, he's a convicted felon, the man. I don't think there's any argument about that. that. Right. But the judge says, you know, you can dress up in a suit. We can give you some false teeth. Uh, and then she, the judge also says, you know, well, we can limit the, the number of people uh, who uh, were in similar uh, 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 situations like the women who are accusing it in, in this trial. The plaintiffs in this trial, uh, the accusers in this trial, it, it would be uh, overly prejudicial, and that was that was actually the same argument that was used in the Bill Cosby case. But the unhappy fact is uh, uh, that the, the circumstances in all these cases are pretty much the same. That it was the same modus operandi that the person used. So to me, that's that's a highly relevant fact that 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 jurors should be aware of. Uh, but as I say, uh, the law, the law is not, the law is not on the side of women, particularly when they accuse, uh, men, particularly men of power of sexual Right, and we talked about it in the last show. I mean, even if there was seemingly the repercussions that are justified in cases like this, there's still not really enough benefit for the average woman to go ahead and report her claims. Uh, we, I mean, we talked about it at length, so I don't want to belabor the point, but at the end of the day, a lot of these women are stuck between a rock and a hard place between do I want to become a blacklisted member of Hollywood, no longer get the gigs I worked my whole life for, or do I just want to keep my flipping mouth shut? You know, I, I don't think they're presented with a choice that is conscionable at, at, at any step. So I, I again, yeah. I wish we could present solutions or ready and effective solutions for these problems. But I don't see them getting better. Yeah, no, it it, it has become uh, it has become a nightmare for any woman. Correct. Uh, whether it was Anita Hill or Dr. Blasey Ford or, you know, even atrocities that were far worse than that. To actually appear publicly. I mean, good God, it took him 20 years to prosecute R. Kelly. Look at that. I mean, it's just, this is nothing. And we all knew that was going on. And we, I, you know, plenty of people knew what Weinstein was doing. I mean, hundreds, I would venture to guess, knew what he was doing. We know these things are going on. Well, uh, I, I, it's I, just, yeah. we don't, you know, we don't care, nor do we want to um, bring the darkness to light, yeah, so I, to speak. I think there's a lack of, uh, uh, a lack of belief in women that's almost hardwired in people's brain that when a woman comes forward, she's got to be making it up. Right. I don't, I don't know what else to say. On no, there, there really isn't anything else to say, unfortunately. It's, uh, as my mother used to say, it's like beating a dead horse. 
You know, you can't, you, you can, you can, you, you can appeal to um, people's minds, but ultimately you have to appeal to their hearts. Well, and it's tough if, you know, you're at the point where you have a woman very clearly victimized, very clearly, you know, not very clearly telling you the truth and you still can't bring it in your heart to believe that she has suffered these atrocities. I don't know if there's any fixing that. I don't know if you could change a person like that in their mindset or in their ways. I, I don't. And I don't believe it'd be worth the effort of women to try and change people's minds like that because they're I don't think they're going to end up on the winning side of that. Um, sad as it may be. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Unfortunately. You know, but we, 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 we do this show in the hope that uh, uh, we will awaken people and that people will, uh, uh, people of uh, good intentions uh, will come forward to do their duty as citizens and human beings in, in situations where they can do good and can help and can speak. Because the most important thing is to speak out. That's the most essential thing for all of us to do. We can't always... Uh, move the world, but we can, in little ways, push the globe a little bit toward a better society, a better world for all of us, hopefully. Yeah. And on that note, if you would like to be a part of this conversation or send in a question or at least a topic idea that you would like to hear me and Professor Stanton discuss, um, feel free to send us an email. So I'll give you guys the email addresses one more time for us. That is my email address, W-E-T-H-E-L-1, the number one, at UNLV. Dot Nevada dot edu. And then for Professor Stanton, it's going to be charles.stanton at nevada.edu. And we would appreciate any comments, any questions, concerns, anything you would like us to discuss. Um, we're open for feedback. And we thank you again for listening. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to Social Justice, a conversation. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's charles.stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time.